So it's been good to go through the Ten Commandments with you all. And um, I try to, I want to do this every, at least once every ten years, go through it regularly. Uh, the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer, uh, many say that these are the three, uh, three most essential elements of Christianity that we want to teach to young disciples. And that it shows us what we hold, it shows us the, the covenant that God's given to Israel and to us and how to live, and it also gives us a guidance to rely on the Lord every day through the prayer. So it's been really good. And I hope that you're able to realize that we're going to get a little bit stickier. So next week is on adultery. Do not want you to miss that as you think about what is God's rule for sexuality and marriage. And so that'll be something that if you want to share with people who are still about to get married, uh, with marriage or troubles with marriage or anything with dating, this is a good one next week. Let me start with this. There is a man that I know, and wherever he goes, he would always do these weird things. He would turn to those who have sinned over and over again. And when pastors, um, godly people say, I'm fed up with you, this particular man would reach out to them. He would even eat with them. He would even touch them. He would allow them to touch him. And who is this person? That's Jesus. Jesus has a way of humanizing those who are, the society has said, you are not lovable. You are not even worthy of my time. You, you are ignored. And so lepers, tax collectors, women caught in adultery, all of these marginalized people, Jesus actually humanizes them again. And so he didn't just come to die on the cross and rise again, but that dying on the cross, rising again, proves to the world that God's aim is not simply to give you a ticket to heaven, but to renew us, restore us, transform us and the world into what humanity truly was designed to be by God. So if you did root it, we learned the definition of poverty is not simply, I don't have a lot of money and I'm poor. Poverty is the fracture of God's shalom. The relationships we have are fractured. So if someone's in poverty, they are fractured from society, their family, their friends, themselves with God. That doesn't mean that they need to say the Lord's Prayer and say a sinner's prayer and everything will be okay. But what it's saying is it indicates to us that poverty really is the root of our fractures. And what Rooted showed us, if you studied it, is that we are all in poverty. We are not better than the homeless people in God's eyes. And so, why are we talking about this? The sixth commandment is, can we read it together? You shall not murder. These four words have huge ramifications. Because in the, on the surface level, it says, okay, I'm not going to kill anybody. I could do that. Man, I, I'm, I'm kind of reckless, but I don't think I'll do that. But what God is really saying through this is so loaded. It has so many le levels. Here's the first level in these four words. God is actually saying through this commandment, I want you to know every single life is sacred. Every single human being, 7.2 billion people in the planet right now, they are precious to me. 
because they are made in Genesis 1.27, what he says is made in the image of God. Uh, how many of you have pets? That's it? Wow, okay. How many of you have pets that, you know, cook the dinner for you? They uh, suggest color schemes. They, they talk to you and they're like, hey, how you doing? Uh, my, my dog comes in and he has the same look. You know, dogs don't have a huge expression. But he's just like, treat. And so they're, 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 they're family in many ways. But obviously they're different from us. They don't make Eiffel Tower. They don't design a Raptor F35. They don't, they don't create a new car that's electro-electric. They, they're, they're amazing, and they could get, fetch a beer from a refrigerator, and we'll go, that's cool. But they can't take the SATs and get 1600. But then again, I can't either, so I don't know what I'm going with that one. But I think the point is, we are made in the image of God. And what that means is you and I carry the dignity, the distinction, the, this, this glorious aspect, sliver of my amazing God. And so who am I and who are you to steal that from anybody by murdering them? So why do people murder? Uh, I, I call it out. Why, why would people murder anybody? Don't worry, you're not incriminating yourself. You're always getting really shy. Greed? Maybe jealousy? Why do people murder? Power? Just sociopathic evil. I don't care. I just want to experience what it feels like to kill people. Some people have said. Oh, I don't know. I was in the, the rage of that moment. I couldn't control myself, and it's like it wasn't me. And so all these indicate that in that moment, we have lost the sensitivity of humanity, that this person is no longer a person. It's just somebody, an object of my wrath, and we kill. And so why this is not right is that each one of us in our hearts, in Romans 2, tells us the law is written on your hearts. You know this is not the case. But when evil and anger rages, it numbs it. These are true stories. Mother kills her young child to be with her boyfriend. Husband kills his pregnant wife so he could be with his mistress. And just recently, uh, a couple, young, beautiful couple on a road trip from Florida to Moab, they find her murdered and they assume, allege that it was her fiancé who drove back by himself. Why, does, why do these stories compel us? Because we know, <laughs> you don't even have to be taught this, we don't kill people. But what God is also showing us is each person is valuable. So let's go into this sixth commandment. You shall not murder. The King James Version says you shall not kill, and the King James Version messed it up. <laughs> Because the word is murder, not kill. What's the difference? This is the difference. In Hebrew, the word kill is mut, to put one to death. It's just an action. Murder, though, is ratzak. It is the unjust taking of the life of another. To unjustly take the life of another. There's a complete difference. And the commandment six it uses, you shall not murder Ratzak. You cannot ever unjustly take the life of another. And so this is important because if you look at the Bible, God doesn't forbid killing. 
Yeah, you heard me. God does not forbid killing in the Bible. I'll give you a few examples. Number one, when it comes to self-defense, in Exodus chapter 22, he actually gives parameters. If somebody breaks into your house at night, a thief, and you strike them and they happen to die, it is okay because you're protecting yourself. But this verse 3 of that says, but if you do it, somebody comes into your house during daytime, not follow along, and they get struck and they die, that is forbidden. You're going, why? <laughs> What's the difference? And so what most people are thinking is at nighttime when you're sleeping and somebody comes in to steal, you do not know if they're trying to take the life of your family. And if you have to protect yourself, you protect yourself because you don't know if they're trying to kill you or property. So you have to protect yourself. But during the daytime, the assumption is you can see that they're just trying to take some vase. And if they're trying to take property, do not kill them. Let them take property because it's just things. If they're trying to kill you, protect yourself. But if it's just things, let them go. Why? Because life is precious even in that weird economy. So God is saying to us, when it comes to self-defense, we have to protect ourselves. He doesn't want to, but this is why God is connecting us to give this permission not to use outlandishly, but protect yourself. It, it's tied in with the capital punishment. And so I was wondering that question. Is capital punishment murder, and it's controversial right now, but I like, I like God's guidance on this. Kevin DeYoung wrote a book, The Ten Commandments, and this is from his uh, analysis. We see in Genesis 9 that capital punishment was also not considered a violation of the Sixth Commandment. Genesis 9, chap chapter 9, verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, do I have it? By man shall his blood be shed. I'm going to read that white part again. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. So God's giving this commandment early on in Genesis. If someone takes life, their life needs to be taken. Why? For God made man in his own image. Kevin DeYoung continues, Capital punishment for murder was not considered an assault on the image of God, but a defense of his image. Human life is so precious that the taking of it was to be punished severely. So, I don't, I'm not condoning supporting, but his point is this in Genesis 9, 6, if you looked at it, if somebody disregards life of others, we need to stop that. It, it needs to be stopped. And in both Old and New Testament, God uses civil authority to curb murderers, to curb violence. And so Exodus 21, one of my favorite verses, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, that's not about revenge. It's about justice that's equal and measured to the crime. So if somebody smacks you and you say, I'm going to kill your family, Exodus 21 says, no, you, you're not. It's, it's, an, it's just an insult. If somebody kills your cow, you owe them a cow. That's what eye for eye, tooth for tooth literally means. It's not about revenge. But you see God saying if somebody takes a life, their life must be taken. And that's the Old Testament, and that's God establishing that. But in the New Testament, Romans 13, 1 through 7, you could read it. Paul establishes that in the New Testament as well. Let the government take the place of God's 
agent to be used to curb sin. And so the last part that we see that God says killing may be condoned, and again, God doesn't joyfully love killing, but we see it in the Bible, and the other one is just wars, where he sends Israel, he sends people to stop those nations who would sacrifice innocent children to a false god. And so the sixth commandment forbids taking the life unjustly with premeditation. And so why do people murder? Again, greed, we dehumanize one another. And so you could feel the difference where murder is, I don't really care, and I made a mistake, but oh well. And God's saying, whoa, we need to be recognizing that each person is made in the image of God. So what does the sixth commandment prohibit? That's pretty easy. Don't kill anybody. So when you go home today, don't kill anybody. When you're wor- working, don't kill anybody. And some of us, you know, we, we you, I, I have to think, driving in Southern California, I'm going to be transparent here. Man, it's hard to be a Christian driving in Southern California. I mean, gosh, I mean, I need to turn that praise music all the way up and sometimes turn it completely silent to be in the holy presence of God because, and my, my wife is like, honey, it's not worth it. And I'm just like, Arr. and so homicide, God forbids us to kill one another. September 22nd, 2001, New York Times. The United States in 2020 experienced the biggest rise in murder since the start of national record keeping in 1960, according to data gathered by the FBI for its annual report on crime. We need to be praying for our society. Amen? The highest murder rate since 1960 is happening right now. And so when God sees that, his heart breaks because people taking lives of other people. Second, Sixth Commandment prohibits this, and this is going to be a little bit sensitive to a lot of us. Suicide. Taking my own life is considered violating the Sixth Commandment. Sometimes things may seem like hopeless and there's nowhere to escape, so the only way to end this pain is to take my own life. But we, we create this devastation. And God is saying, your life is precious. You are precious. Your family is precious. And in Christ, there's always hope. And so for the church, as a side, this is why we can't be just about, well, I don't need to go to church every time, and I'm fine, things are good. It's not about you. It's about you becoming partners with Christ in this ministry, in the life around you. I don't need to join Bible study. I'm fine. It's not about you. What if your presence inspires, encourages, your story testifies? Church work is not here. It's out there with the people who are broken and hurting. And so, by the way, we are not Catholic, and we don't hold this to be the unforgivable sin. This is forgivable, just like every other sin except for the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But suicide is not in what God desires of us. It is murder to one's own body. It gets a little more uncomfortable. You shall not murder. Then when you look at it biblically, just take away the political lens for me, just join with me what God is saying here, then abortion is murder. And I know it's complicated, and I know people are like, there's choice. I I know incest, rape. But if we take a moment to just look at the people for now, and then we'll look at both the mother and this, we recognize 
when God says in Psalm 139, for you formed me, you my inward parts, you knit me together. And I, this part strikes me, Luke chapter 1, Mary and Elizabeth, they're both pregnant. They meet together, and Elizabeth says to Mary, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ear, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So in God's economy, that child in the womb from the since conception is his child. And that child has life. And so to consider that as just cells, we have dehumanized it. And so John Calvin writes in a commentary on Exodus 21, his words, for the fetus, though enclosed in the womb of its mother, is already a human being, and it is almost a monstrous crime to rob it of the life which it has not yet begun to enjoy. If it seems more horrible to kill a man in his own house than in field, because a man's house is his place of most secure refuge, it ought surely to be deemed more atrocious to destroy a fetus in the womb before it has come to light. And so putting aside just the discussions, if we look at the child, we realize, is this child a child recognized by God? Is this child made in the image of God? And so God would say yes. Now, here's the part that we need to come back to, though. The mother is also made in the image of God. And this is not about rights, but this is about how do we best humanize and love and work together. So they say if the Christian organizations would stop condemning the people who are getting abortion and rather open up their doors and their church and resources to support them and to, and to really be a society, numbers may drop significantly. And I'm recognizing I haven't done anything but to point fingers, at least for me. And so God is saying, you are not condemned if you do this, but this is the breaking of the commandment. And God in his mercy forgives those who have even gone through abortion. God will forgive them. And so for Christians to sit righteously like, I can't believe you, you believe in abortion, that doesn't help. You don't represent God's heart in the sixth commandment. And for those of us who say, hey, let them have abortion, it's okay, that doesn't represent God's heart in the sixth commandment. Do you get it? Because every life is sacred. And so what else is prohibited? Death that comes from neglect, comes from all of this. And so we, we see the sixth commandment as, boy, these four words, they're massive. And so we turn to this. And you probably might have gotten this. Are you a murderer? And so in the legal sense, we'll say, Pastor Jason, I'm not perfect, but I'm number six, I'm pretty good at. <laughs> I haven't killed anybody. And as you heard in the children's message, before we say that, let's look at Jesus' words. Can we read it together? You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Those are strong words. I mean, Jesus can't, he's not beating around the bush. Everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be liable to, just, to judgment. Lest we presume that judgment is the judgment of a murderer. 
That's what Jesus is saying. And so before we say I've kept the sixth commandment, you see this little part here, right here, you fool? That's the Greek word raka. <laughs> and it's kind of funny because it literally means empty head. If, if you ever called anybody you empty head or idiot, stupid, useless, worthless, garbage, teens like this word, you're trash. What Jesus is saying, you are in God's eyes under the same judgment as a prisoner who has killed people. Now, I want to sit in that discomfort and I want to say, what does that make you and me? Because I violated that almost every day at times. And if we're humble and honest and truthful, we say, God, I am a murderer according to your definition. And so when you're driving, you say, I'm going to kill that guy. Or, and so Kevin DeYoung, um, he says, he, he, there's a, he read this book from David Paulison, and the book's title is Good and Angry. And there's one chapter, it's kind of brilliant. The chapter's titled, ready for this? Do you have a serious problem with anger? And the chapter has one word. I, I've never seen a book with a chapter with one word. And you know what that word is? Yes. Next chapter. What is this saying? Humanity. If you have been born to a human mother and you're not, your name's not Jesus Christ, you will have a problem with anger at one point in your life. Some of you are still struggling with anger. You're angry at your family, your teachers, your neighbors, other nationalities. You're angry at history. You're angry at Democrats, Republicans. You're angry at Joe Biden, Donald Trump. Hey, freedom of speech, but you're angry. And what Jesus is saying here is, listen, the heart that causes a physical murder begins with a heart that despises your neighbor. <whistles> and so if you are thinking, I get upset with this, but I'm not going to go over the board, I'm going to tell you as a dad who's failed many times, I'm scared sometimes. And I've gotten to see therapists sometimes in the past few years. And I realize that we have to own it and recognize it, not cover it up with a smile and say, God's good. Because in God's eyes, he sees murderers struggling and covering it up like little children who made a mess and they put the carpet over it. So what do we do? We recognize that the purpose of Ten Commandments is how Israel will live in the covenant with him. We see that it is what redeemed people will live according to curb society from pain. But the third reason we see is what Paul says. I would not have known sin had it not been for the law. And right now that discomfort you may feel that I'm not a murderer is your pride because you're breaking the first commandment. Or if you say I'm not a murderer, you're breaking the ninth commandment. You're lying to yourself. Or you say God won't God will allow me to do that, then you're breaking the second commandment. You're making a God in your own image. And so, friends, can we humble ourselves and just simply say, Lord, boy, I need your grace. I am a sinner in need of mercy. So Jesus says, Jesus' disciple John writes in 1 John three fifteen, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. 
So John even got rubbed out by Jesus. And no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So those in perpetual hatred, wow, maybe you may not be in the fold. So the definition, bottom line, comes to murder is any thought or feeling deep-seated hatred or malice against another person. And so I think we need to have a come-to-Jesus moment. What do we do with it? Let's go on with Jesus when he said murder, anger, and this is how he ends. Like, Jesus, give us some guidance. He says, I will. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, if you're coming to church to worship, if you're about to have Bible study, at Sunday, every night you're praying with your family, you're about to close your eyes, and there, remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. And so what is Jesus urging us? If you have sinned against someone or someone has sinned against you, the first step is reconcile. How do we reconcile? It's through the same reconciliation that Jesus gives us, that Jesus offers us. Luke 9, 22. And we'll close with this. The way we forgive and are reconciled, the way we can have the power to forgive anybody, even those we can't <laughs> really want to, we recognize this verse. The Son of Man must suffer many things, this is Jesus speaking, and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and moot, not ratzak, be killed, and the third day be raised. That Jesus Christ wasn't murdered. He was willing to be killed. There's a difference. So that murderers, their punishment, my punishment, could be upon him on the cross. So it's ironic that the image of God who is on us was redeemed by the true God on the cross and that exchange allows us to have this mercy to be forgiven by God and to be welcomed into his kingdom, not as murderers but as his children. And when you see that we can actually have the grace to forgive those who've sinned against us and ask for forgiveness. You shall not murder. We're going to sing this in a moment. In that old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For twas on that old cross, Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify murderers, abortionists, liars, thieves like me. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. This is why we love Jesus and the cross. Amen? Let's all stand together, and then I'll pray, and we'll sing. In standing, I want to invite you to take a moment. Would you take a moment to pray, God, there's something that his brother or sister has against me. Give me the grace to be reconciled. Let me forgive or be forgiven. God, if I have sinned against someone else, if I have hatred, God, let me release that into you. And so let's turn and pray, and then I'll close us, and then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer and sing our final song.
God, help us. Help us to move into grace givers. Help us to move into releasers of pain and, and hurts that have been put on us. Not by our power or strength, the power of the cross that forgave us that we have this ability to give up these things. Jesus, you forgave murderers and idolaters like us. And we thank you for that. And we recognize, Lord, that we are way worse than we thought we were. But your grace is way more powerful than we could ever imagine. So into you, we pour ourselves. And we ask that you would just flow and cover us that not only for our individual blessing, but that the society would be blessed by your church living out this incredible truth of forgiveness and love. We pray this because of your son, Jesus, and in him who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.